Hello, everybody. I'm Phil Margavichis, and welcome to another episode of Funding MedTech brought to you by Project MedTech. Funding MedTech is an interview-style podcast focused on exploring ways to fund MedTech innovation. You will be hearing from all different kinds of funding vehicles and the how, why, and what they invest. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website at www.projectmedtech.com and follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations, and is released weekly on Monday. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Analytics. Do you want to submit your software MVP to the FDA in four months? Perhaps you're looking for an FDA-savvy software development partner to write your software or to build your AI or machine learning algorithm from the ground up. Today's sponsor, Analytics, can take your software idea, build it, clear it, deploy it, and maintain it. They can be your Sherpa to help you climb the FDA submission hurdle in as little as four months, and that includes the clinical performance study. What are you waiting for? Get on the market before your competition and go check out analytics.com. That's I-N-N-O-L-I-T-I-C-S. Or reach out to the founders, Eugene Shrestha or David Giese on LinkedIn. In this episode, Thea Pham at OCV and Rich Mazzola discuss the details, fund size, type, investment thesis, and check size of OCV. Today, I'm joined by Thea over at OCV Partners. Thea, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Thea, I know you and I met down at the uh, Startup Symposium uh, in Houston uh, this past October, but would love for you to share your background with the audience and how you got into venture capital, but more specifically, medtech venture capital. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I um, I still remember the day we met in Houston. I always excited to go go back to to Houston, which is my stomping ground for a while. But um, my background to venture has been pretty long winded. Um, I am a nerd my whole life. I started out as a classically trained neuroscientist. I got my PhD in neuroscience at UCLA. I was trained scientifically across tier one institution, both in the US, uh, Baylor College of Medicine, UC San Diego, um, as well as spent a year in University of Oxford in big data analysis in, in biological processes. Um, but then from there, um, during my PhD, I was very, very focused in, you know, understanding how the brain repair itself after a stroke. Um, I study stroke specifically um, in one of the best stroke lab in the world under Dr. Tom Carmichael out of UC, uh, UCLA. And during my PhD became, you know, very frustrated with the lack of commercializations of great technology that comes out of the lab. Um, that means I've seen technology that you know, started out from the bench and it almost went nowhere. We published a big nature paper, a big science paper, and that technology just sit in the 
tech transfer office waiting to be licensed. And I realized that I can, you know, speak the science language. I can learn the business side of things and, and try to get it from bench to bed side. And from there, I really get started to get involved with the ecosystem out of uh, UCLA as well as, as the Southern California ecosystem, which is um, one of the lar third largest ecosystem startup wise in the U.S. Um, I was you know, working in the Business of Science Center at UCLA. I was on the Tech Transfer Office Oversight Committee where I work with UCLA leaderships on the IP portfolios out of UCLA and really helped um, initiate a lot of the, you know, innovation fund and whatnot out of UCLA. So yeah, that process was super excited, but I think all of that really leads to was I accidentally, I would say, <laughs> co-founded, um, had had my path in, in as, a, as a founder, so co-founded a digital health um, company during my PhD. And that was a really great experience for actually understanding what it takes to actually get a technology off the ground and running. Um, so after I graduated from my PhD, um, I spent some time at BD at a uh, pharma on Trata Therapeutics, joined them after their Series B all the way to IPO'd, um, and then realizing that I really want to get re-engaged and get more involved with early stage startups. So I decided to find my way back um, to the startup ecosystem and this side on the other side of the table in, in venture. And, and um, yeah, that's how I, I am at, at OCB. And it's it's been such a great time ever since. I love it. So so very similar to a lot of entrepreneurs out there. You saw a problem and you sought to fix it. So um, love it. And just out of curiosity, what strokes were you primarily focused on as part of your PhD? Was it ischemic strokes or, or something specific or more of the broad range? Really great question. Is ischemic stroke. Um, that is of my focus. Um, I specifically study a obscure cell types called pericyte, which is the cell that wrapped around vasculatures. And it has a lot of different morphologies, a lot of, is so heterogeneous in the brain um, and, and play a lot of different roles in neurogenesis and scar formations and a lot of different pathways. And and yeah, that, that was a really, really fun um, project, especially it was right at the curbs of a lot of these um, explosion of like single cell analyses and proteomics um, around like the 2015. Um, so I, I, I get to utilize this a lot of that um, in my thesis, which is super fun. That's awesome. So do you have a, I, I guess we'll get into this, but do you have a preference towards products that are focused on uh, neurostroke or, or uh, any specific procedures? Not necessarily. Um, you mean for um, my job as an investor? Correct. From the venture side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, my whole life I've been trained as a neuroscientist. So I think innately I have that curiosity. Um, and that background for neuroscience. But from the fun perspective, we look really broadly. Um, I think we really truly hone in in areas where, and I'm, I'm happy to go through it a little bit, but we're very high value at high conviction fund. Um, so we usually don't get into deals unless we see strong value add on our end to accelerate the growth and help de-risk a lot of the science or the technology or, or the connection. Um, so to that end, um, because of where our value add is, um, we, we look really broadly across and we hyper-focus in for certain key area like women's health, like fertilities, uh, where we have strong value add from our affiliates. 
No, that's great. So let's let's dive a bit further into OCV because I'd like to get back into that topic a little bit further into this. So OCV, what does that stand for? Yeah, OCV, Orchard Capital Venture uh, Partners. So we're a $168 million fund based out of LA, and we invest across intersections of technology and healthcare. So 50% of the fund focus in healthcare and biotech. The other 50% is in traditional B2B software tech and real estate tech. The fund were founded by very seasoned operators who started and grew businesses to billion dollars in revenue. Most notably is a managing partner, Hemi Zucker. He was ex-CEO and co-founder of J2 Global, which now they split on the public market to Jeff Davis and Consensus. But J2 is a large media conglomerate. Um, Hemi acquired 165 different SaaS companies during his tenure at J2. He actually held the record for most M&A done by public CEO. And um, and that, you know, span across different sectors. And, and one of the companies he acquired, which is related to the healthcare and biotech side, is Everyday Health Group, which is a leading information platform for patients. They, they only second to WebMD. They also own MedPage Today, which has 80% of US physician across specialties, active subscribers. And they're, like I mentioned earlier, there's certain market where they own 90% of the marketing channel to that market. Fertility is one through their two brand, what to expect in baby centers. Um, so they own 90% of the marketing tech channel to pregnant mothers. Um, they also have the largest medical job boards um, for, for a lot of clinicians, as well as um, a lot of deep ties. They also do a, a large chunk of um, clinical trial recruitment, commercializations, and, and marketing for pharmaceutical companies as well. So I think that them, along with other affiliates in our, our network, um, became really the large value add for us when we get into portfolio companies. And um, like I mentioned, we're high value add, high conviction. We usually get in right after the product market fit. So it's, it's usually after the de-risking from a regulatory perspective and when you get to the commercial, because that's where I think our value add really shine and that's where you can make a true impact. Um, but yeah, our traction size average has been around um, 10 millions over the life of the investment. Um, but we've swung both ends of that spectrum. Smallest check has been a million, largest has been 24. Um, and we like to lead and we do put in a much larger position when we lead. But historically, we bleed 50% of our deal and follow on the other 50. So we're flexible on, on that end as well. Any geographic restrictions? You know, being in LA, West Coast, obviously, you have probably the continental United States is, is fair, but anything broader than that? I think our strength, uh, given this is, you know, um, our fund one and we're, we're closing, um, you know, and we're fundraising to close out our fund two, is that we're having very big presence in Southern California. All of our partnerships um, have started and grow companies here. They have deep network, deep ties here. Um, as well as just like the whole team is here. So Southern California is definitely our biggest um, focus, but we do invest across teams across North America and then Israel. Um, two thirds of our partnerships is Israelis. And, and yeah, we have, we have seen very, very exceptional founders and exceptional technology coming out of Israel. Um, so that's also an exciting, um, exciting market for us. Yeah, and I think, you know, from the, we always talk about unicorns quite a bit. And I think I was at a, this was probably six months ago, I was at a, a seminar and, and the one of the VCs up on stage was from 
Israel v. Space VC. And they said, we just had our first decacorn. And I was like, okay, we're just trying to figure out unicorns over here in the U.S. You guys are already working on decacorns. So yeah, they are, that is startup nation, right? Um, and there's a whole, that could be a whole other discussion we can go into in terms of the, the way in which their infrastructure is created around that to invest in ideas and, and failure and how that's, the culture is kind of built around that. But yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so from, you know, you talk about commercialization as your big value add in terms of where OCB comes in. So stage-wise, especially in med tech for us, you know, we're looking at post-clearance, FDA clearance. Is that a fair starting point for you guys to start discussions or do you like to start talking to folks a little earlier than that, maybe as the part of the development process for a product? I would say, um, I think fund one, um, we were pretty agnostic. Um, most of our fund one track goes to series A and B, like true series A and B. And fund one, we invest across, um, you know, we had five therapeutics investment, one medical device, um, which we were super excited about. Um, and then digital health and tech, um, health tech SaaS infrastructure. Um, I think for fund two going forward, we're going to refocus a lot of our efforts into areas that we have strong value at. That means B2B software on the health tech, on the healthcare side. Um, that would be a lot of, you know, healthcare SaaS and life science SaaS. Um, that said, we're very opportunistic and we do have the capability internally to diligence a lot of the therapeutics, medtech, medevice, or even D2C. So we continue to review those deals, but it's not a strong focus for us. So I think from that perspective, um, the, yes, even like the existing med device company in our portfolio company, Osseo, um, we got in when they're at the curbs of commercialization and they're able to, you know, like, because J, because Everyday Health has a very strong reach across uh, orthopedic surgeon, for example, which is um, their next generation orthopedic um, regeneration platform. Um, so that enabled them to leverage a lot of that network uh, from a commercialization perspective. So I think probably like post yeah, post um, the the um, regulatory clearance would be probably a sweet spot, but there's always exception to the rule, um, I would say, and, and we do look at those opportunistically. Yeah, and I I guess the way we define opportunistic deals internally too, as we evaluate those, is always early exit potential, right? Because in some cases, especially in the Genovo PMA application side, you, you clinical efficacy becomes a way to exit strategics versus commercialization efforts and maybe in like a five cent K and there's, there's data to back all that up. But is it, do you find that those earlier opportunities that OCV tends to invest in fall in that PMA de novo bucket or are there some occasions in which uh, a five ten K product might be something of interest? Um, I honestly think I, we don't have strong mandate and strong preference per se. I would say, from a med like a pure device perspective, um, we have less value add on you know like getting through regulatory approval. So that's why we shy a little bit away from that. We like black we like platform approaches. We also like areas where device combination with creating or integrations of data and generations of data. And that's the data key, I think, is, is what we're excited most about. And the device just 
like an ad, almost like an, an entry point um, to enable like an iterative platform from a data perspective. So that, I think that's what we're excited about. Um, but we also have, um, for example, one of our very small track is into a super exciting company out of um, Chicago um, called Dimension Inks. Um, we continue to, to chat with the team there and definitely shout out to them. We got in when they get their first FDA approval for uh, one of their lead uh, product, one of their products, and then but they continue to do R&D to push additional asset through. Um, so from a check size and stage wise perspective, they're very early for us. Hence, it was almost it was a small check for us, but we're very excited about the founder. We're very excited about the team and the technology and what they're working on. Um, so we continue to support them and continue to follow them um, as, as they continue to progress. And, and I think, yeah, and I think that's one of uh, strategically nope. for us. Mm -hmm. No, that, that's great. And so that, that's helpful because, it, you know, in my mind, a lot of startups will get into, hey, I have a product to treat this procedure. Here's the clinical data I need. Here's the commercialization effort I need to put out there. And here's the multiple I need to get to, which means here's my revenue number. And so they ultimately kind of in that very simplified business model turn into a kind of a one trick pony where it's get the product out to market, sell the company, sell the product. So Striker can just plug it into there or Medtronic can just plug it in. What it sounds like OCV really likes is, hey, this is the first, this is our beachhead market we're going to get clearance in, but here's the next three products that are after that feed off of that first one that we're going to go after as well that expands the market and gets that maybe bigger multiple or bigger exit potential. And that's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really where OCV likes to play. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think we were, we were discussing this as we put it together, you know, our fundraising strategy. Um, of like, how do we crystallize what we have been historically been doing and continue to execute on our strategy? And I think there is a, um, you know, like we really want like platform approaches, but we also not shy away from structure to minimize the risk of downsize uh, when we get into deals um, as well. So we like side potentials. Um, we don't definitely not single or silo assets uh, for sure. Perfect. So, so that that's super helpful. Now, you know, getting into more of the diligence process. How does OCV approach diligence? I mean, because I mean, frankly, most founders can throw a, a pipeline or a product pipeline slide up on their pitch deck, right? So, what what as you jump into the diligence process, especially if that's really your focus of thesis, which is the product or, or the platform technology, um, how does that? How does your diligence maybe poke holes in that to find a good target for you or a good opportunity? Yeah, um, great question. So I think you, you're asking on specifically on the te technological diligence, right? Correct. Yeah, maybe the technical side of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, um, fortunately, I think we, our funds are founded by, you know, not only operators, but deep, deep, deep expertise. Um, so I do have a PhD and, and not only that, my, my partner, um, my general partner who led the, the healthcare side of the team, Dr. Chris Bostick, he's fantastic. And he has PhD um, across, you know, drug development, metabolisms, all of the, you know, and, and very, very deep expertise there. He actually, who taught me everything I know about venture. And he um, also, you know, let 
all of this investment and had three IPO in biotech within his first three years as an investor. Super impressive. But I think on top of that, we do have a deep network of, of expertise to lean on as well. So not only relying on our internal scientific expertise, but also just like externally, how do we poke holes in, in the technology and, you know, what the papers, what the landscapes and, and the KOLs there. I think at the end of the day, the technology, especially in not only just in med tech, but I think in like general healthcare and medicine in general is rarely is just a great technology that makes a great company. And I think it's, it's a technology that is wrapped around a key application that enable easy adoption and easy integrate into the existing workflow that wrapped around that the full business model that enables just that scale. And I think once we get comfortable with the technological diligence, I think like the business models and the comp landscape and like, how is this going to get, if all goes well, how is this going to get adopted and integrated into the existing um, workflow or, or you, utilizations um, in real world is what we're usually like asking a lot of questions on. Yeah, and I, I think to that point, we had uh, Dr. David Kay, who's an orthopedic surgeon on the podcast, and he he always likes to invest in process changes, but not big process changes. To your point there, it was he his example was turning right on red. You're not doing anything different. You're still turning right. You're just doing it on a red light versus a green light, and you're just slightly changing the process with maybe a new product to help influence and do things better. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of the point you were highlighting there. But the, um, you know, as part of, maybe the current environment as well, you know, how has, as part of diligence, the intangibles with the team, I guess, is the point I'm trying to get at. So from a, when you were evaluating, not just the technology, the business plan, the business overall, but also the management team, what are some of those areas you like to to target or look at as, you know, whether it's experience, whether it's how many exits they've had, I guess, what are the big uh, pieces of that puzzle you like to analyze in order to invest in the team? And maybe not just the problem and solution. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that got to the earlier point earlier that that you highlighted really well. And we definitely agree with is that most innovation that happen in healthcare um, is usually is a process innovation and it's less a product innovation. And from that perspective, it's rarely is a technology that, you know, like AI or computer vision or whatnot is also like a hammer looking for a nail to um, to hit. It's always somebody who's inside, who's a healthcare insider, who had these, have been there, done that, have deep expertise and deep network within the healthcare system that is leveraging these tools and and really um, innovate. So I think from that perspective, we really look for founder market fit and founder product fit. Um, one great example is our portfolio company, Rad AI, founded by one of the youngest radiologists in the U.S. Um, Rad AI is a workflow automation for radiologists. They help radiologists, um, you know, automate a lot of their note processes and enable just like better uh, work-life balance and reduce burndown and better productivity. Um, so Jeff Tang, great, great founders, youngest radiologist in the U.S. He did his MBA at night while practicing as a radiologist during the day um, and then founded one YC company. And this is his second time. So from that perspective, he has deep understanding of the radiology as a radiologist, also deep expertise 
um, and, and, and like experienced founders of that. I think that highlight one of the characteristic of the founding team that, that we, we like to back. Great, great. And so switching gears a little bit here on you, you know, from the fundraising environment to obviously I'm sure everyone's been paying attention to the 2023 data and how dra dramatically different it was from maybe 2020 in terms of the investment environment. I'm curious, maybe not what OCV has put out there, but I guess, have you seen any maybe term adjustments? You know, a very simple example is always, you know, prior to a large fundraise or series A, series B, prior to commercialization, there's always a request to re-up the stock option pool. Like that's always a term that's kind of thrown out there to help get the share price down initially. What what terms have you been seeing out there that are maybe unique to this environment that you haven't seen in the past? Yeah, I think uh, really great questions. I definitely, it's funny because I joined Venture right at um, toward the end of 2021, um, which is the peak of the market and then 2022 roll around and, you know, it feels like every day is a new reality um, from, from a funding and from like the dynamic perspectives. I think from mm -hmm. that perspective, I felt like I've seen both ends of the spectrum. To your answer, I think we, we definitely seen, you know, down round is definitely there on the table, you know, participating preferred to actually grab um, like all of the structures are there. Um, we say, I, I would say it's an interesting funding dynamic in a sense that it ver it's very distinguishable between a great company and the one that had potential but raised a lot of capital previously. <laughs> Because I, I I still see great companies with great metric, great traction, great technology, and great team consistently having really competitive round, um, and that like the round would be you know like rolling as if it's like twenty twenty market. Um, on the other hand, I've seen a lot of company that had raised substantially during the peak market of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Um, had struggled a little bit, especially if you struggle to, um, even if it's, you know, like, even if the technologies are great, the valuations or the traction has, like the traction has not grown to that specific valuation yet. So like new stack of investor coming in has a bit of a hesitations of the interest alignment with existing investors. So from that perspective, I've seen a lot of extension round, a lot of insider round, a lot of bridge round to try to get to that next steps. Um, or I have seen company that completely pivot, recapped and, you know, basically like, Hey, like I'm a, even though I did raise a series A or a series A plus I am no, my traction is a seed company and I'm accepting that I'm a seed company. Um, so yeah, though that dynamic has, has been both end of the spectrums. And, and I think this is where we see, yeah, this is where we see like great technology and great team and, and discipline investment thesis really shine. Yeah. And it goes back to the old adage that good companies get bought, bad companies get sold, right? It's, it's all about who has the leverage in the, in the moment in time. Um, but I wanted to highlight a point here. You, you talked about down rounds initially there as part of the terms, I guess from a, I think most entrepreneurs and I, I could tell you most of our clients would sit there and say, Oh, we, we got to be, always increase value, always increase value. And that's absolutely the right way to think about it. And they're so fearful of down rounds, which is definitely not the place you want to be in as a founder. But how, from an investor's perspective, I guess, how do you look at a company that's coming into your pipeline as an opportunity 
that might fit a down round. They just haven't gotten the right traction, or maybe they got some bad news from the FDA or a recall or something has happened in the organization. Um, is that an up? I mean, if there's an opportunity that the platform there and it fits the thesis, but it's maybe a down round that you negotiate, how do you view that, I guess, from a venture capital perspective? Yeah, I think um, it's, I would say it is an evolving collaborations and conversation with founders and and existing uh, investors. It's never, you know, like we're forcing a down round to anybody. It has to be a collaborative effort and collaborative um, conversations. Maybe it technically looks like maybe from a number perspective, it's a flat round, but we added some structure on it to de-risk the next investor coming in. So it's not technically from a pure, you know, post-money perspective is a, is a um, down round. Like there's a lot of structure. And like I said, like OCB, we're not shy away from from using structure to really de-risk our investment if, if, if you know, peer evaluation is a concern. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's, is honestly is like how transparent and how candid the the and how collaborative is is the founder because we invest in team, um, we don't just invest in company and and is the founder that is driving the innovation is the founders that that making the impossible possible and and from that I think if if we see early signal of like oh yeah they're not really open to to have a candid conversation about the traction versus the last round valuation then I I don't think those are the deals that we're getting in. Yeah, and it's it's the team effort, right? So it's it's we want this to be a winning environment for yeah. everyone, and if you can't collaborate with a new investor coming in and talking about what's what's reality with value out yeah. there. Um, then you're right. It's not a good fit for you. That's, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. Um, so, so looking ahead, I guess, what, what's some exciting innovation on the horizon, uh, for you, or maybe a specific therapeutic area or procedure area that you or OCV in general is maybe targeting or looking at that just excites you. And I know we've talked a lot about data integration and motivating that for future product design and future product uh, opportunities, but what, what's that one area or a couple areas that OCV is maybe highlighting as uh, strong opportunities or you prioritize in the pipeline? Yeah, there's a couple of key area that I've been looking very deeply on. I think one um, that has been getting a lot of a lot of press and a lot of attention recently is women's health. Um, women's, um, there's a lot of data out there how, you know, women are responsible for 70% of the um, over-the-counter purchases made most of the medical decisions in the household are 70% of women are actually caregivers. So from like an, you know, like an interaction perspective with the healthcare ecosystem, women, you know, women is the healthcare um, ecosystem, but from a patient perspective, as a patient, the woman has been largely ignored. A lot of what the women's issues in autoimmune disease and a lot of, you know, the menopause or, or anything, it, even like within fertility, um, the maternal health outcome in the U.S. is absolutely abysmal and there's a lot of inefficiency in the system and there's a lot of different ways that I'm, I think technology can really help leverage and, and with the together with the data can help improve a lot of these outcomes. I think that's one big area that we've been looking at. Another area that I've been really excited and, and really curious to learn a lot more is anything that sells to pharma um, from a software perspective, especially post um, post uh, approval, so drug commercialization, like could because marketing and sales is one of the largest budget 
uh, from a farmer perspective. And that whole process is it feels like a black box because um, the there's not I, I haven't talked to a marketing or a commercial team at pharma that that can specifically highlight out like strong ROI or, or the, the next directions of, of the how to best commercialize a lot of the drug because medical sales reps um, role and, and their um, has been decreasing substantially. TV ad, which used to be like a stomping ground for pharma is no longer is an effective channel. So what are the next and new channel? And there's with all the regulation involved, where can um, a company land and, and expand um, um, in, in this market? And, and where is the penetration point for a startup to actually get in and, and help accelerate and get these drugs um, as fast as possible to, to the patients that need it the most? And I think those are the two areas that I've been looking at. And, and I love that. I I think you were you on the panel with Kwame from Wavemakers Three Sixty. I thought was that the right. Were you on that? Panel? I'm on a lot of panel with Kwame. <laughs> as, um, okay. as we're in this, we're in SoCal together. Um, so we're. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yep. But I don't know which it, panel you would refer to. Oh, I was thinking of the startup symposium down in Houston, but the. Um, no, it's it's because when I asked him that same question a couple months ago, he said the same thing that femtech was an area they they think is is ripe for innovation and opportunity there. Because you're right, it is an underfunded and under innovated uh, area of the of the health tech space. Um, absolutely agree. I love that. That that's just great. And so Thea, just to just to close out, I guess what's a good uh, piece of advice you give entrepreneurs out there that are listening in? I would say um, always start with. Not only, I think, I think start with the fundamentals of what is the specific questions you're trying to solve or what are the specific problem you're trying to solve and how the technology is best leveraging and solving that questions. And I think from a bigger landscape, from a funding perspective, if you do want to get venture funding, like do put yourself in from an investor perspective because like investor like us we're excited about innovation we're excited about entrepreneurship and we really want to roll our sleeves up and help you know like making your vision comes true but we do have lps um you know, to answer to. And from that perspective, we do care about how big the market is, how fast is the adoption, how do we scale, how do we, you know, make this vision a reality as fast as possible and, and, and as efficient as possible. Um, so from that perspective, like using that landscape of answering a lot of the questions on the TAM, the business model, the go-to-market strategy, the partnerships, the dollars that you take and help use that to inform a lot of the decision, sometimes even funding decision, like, um, like you know, valuation, um, the investor you want to work mm-hmm. with as well. And I think that would help um, a lot, ease a lot of, of the friction early on as you start a company. Yeah, take take it take the purview of like the logic of of a venture capitalist and put that into your business plan and and see how you because if now granted you might disagree on the logic but having the logic's the first step and and having that kind of laid out in the in a manner in which a venture capitalist would look at it makes that discussion and collaboration all the easier. Yeah, yeah, and and anticipate what what you would receive from an, a question perspective, right? Because a lot of time when on, on calls mm-hmm. we do. We do ask about, you know, like, you know, what's your next step after given this TAM is small. And I think those are, you know, basically hinted of like how, how, um, 
where which bucket I, I should put the company in. Perfect. Uh, last question since we're coming over the 30 minute mark. What's a good uh, business book or personal book you've been reading lately that you'd recommend everybody? Oh, that's a great question. Um, let me think. You know, I've been so I've, I've gotten I've, I've started to develop a habit of I know this is this is going to be like this is so L.A., but I've gone into meditation <laughs> As any LA people, I started meditation in the past two months and it has been really um, improving not only just my attention and creativity, but there I usually read a passage from a book called The The Pivot Year uh, before. Ooh, I so like I that. just basically just thinking about the passage and just toying with the idea over and over um, in my head as I as within my half an hour meditation. So I really, I really like that book. I just pulled it up. Yeah, it looks like they're short snippets. And I, I love that because we, um, I always pick up, I have Marcus Aurelius's meditations and same, same type of logic, right? They're short passages that give you, a, you know, just read one. It might be half a page, but it allows you to kind of sit there and think about what it said. Yeah. That's great. No, uh, was it Bri- Brianna Weiss? Yeah, it's Brianna right? Weiss. Per- yep. The perfect year, the pivot year, excuse me. Awesome. Well, Thea, thank you so much for joining us on Funding MedTech. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you need anything from us, you can contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. And for more information on Project MedTech, visit our website at www.projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.